and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore 40k, a lore podcast in which we aim to separate our Ducari from our Dark Angels, our Tyranids from our Tau, and our Craft Worlds from our Chaos Marines, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer 40k stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber, and I know pretty much fuck all about 40k. With me is my co-host, Christopher Crallen Allen. Hello there. Who knows absolutely fuck all about 40k. Very, very true. And my dear brother, Darren. Hello. Who knows so much about 40k, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. Over the years, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Hooray! Alright, attempt 74. Let's <laughs> see if we can get this shit show started. This time with feeling, guys. This time with feeling. This episode has had more reboots than 40k. Hey! <laughs> Boom! <laughs> what is cracking? What is cracking, man? I have been waiting, holding my breath for this this recording, guys. And <laughs> yeah. about you, because you were so riveted by uh, Edition Gate last episode. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> Was I ever like Jesus? So much I absorbed so much information. I, I forgot my own phone number. Like I can actually geez. see the side of your head swelling as it was just this, yeah. like that and the nosebleed. I think it was time just to <laughs> yeah. wrap it up, wasn't it? It was like Chris is about to fucking error four hundred four on us. <laughs> yeah, just you did. You did look a bit like that meme of the all the math symbols flashing up. <laughs> yeah, of your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ben. Why does everything sound like running water? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think uh, based on that, I mean, we, uh, Kral and I, have made a pretty shoddy attempt at a recap uh, last month. So I'm not. I'm not willing to try it again, uh, Dar. I think. I think you should. You should take the lead. Give us a quiz. Yeah. Last time it was the blind leading the blind. So yeah, come on. Okay, what edition had the most codices, the most <gasps> army books? Kral, I'm going to let you go first. And if you get it right, you get the point. But that is how quizzes work, yes. If yeah, I no, right, but like, I won't even answer. I won't even answer because I feel like I well, have let's a put, Let's put advantage. one in each. I'm going to say, I'm going to say three. Fuck it. Three, three, three. Ben? Three. I'm going to say two <laughs> chris was the closest because third edition Aww. had 90 19 codices it's actually ninth edition uh they're now looking oh. at 22 or 23 depending on when this episode goes out nice. is chris. that 22 in addition to the codices that already exist or do they revamp existing codices and then add on that as well the the model that they go is with each new edition there's uh, there are going to be either uh, small rules changes or kind of systemic rules changes uh, regardless each faction requires a new codex uh, because right. the, that's that's the vehicle for which they sell the miniatures so it's Blimey. the that's the, quite the, a the workload actual, isn't it yeah the game is kind of an intellectual exercise in marketing that it happens mm. to be a game is 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 good for everyone, but they they use it to push out new uh, models. Mm. Mm. In addition to having a number of codices 
which may have been the second. <laughs> what? <laughs> Was it the second? <laughs> in, in addition to having the, the second largest number of codices, what is also special about third edition? Um, no idea. What was special about the third edition? Oh no, I just I don't know either. I was just wondering if you knew. <laughs> <laughs> it saw the introduction of the the force org, the force organizational chart, uh, where you had a set number of uh, leaders, elite troops, troops, uh, fast attack units, and heavy support. So it's the it, it was it through a framework around the game, which before was pretty much whatever miniatures you have in your collection you can put on the on the table. Right. Which somewhat yeah, ironically yeah. is now what at the end of ninth edition, that's again what you can do. There are so many variations mm. in the force orc that uh, you can bring an entire force of elite troops and some uh, leaders and kind of tip the balance of the game in your favor. The issue is that people tend to rely too much on the points values of units uh, to see right. to get a balanced game. Um, so, could you have like um, could you have like one army made up of like really low level miniatures, so very low uh, cost point cost miniatures, but a huge army, like you know, yes. very numerous, yeah. versus then you know a small group of like elites, but they'd yes. be evenly matched on points. Is that is that yes. the idea? Yeah, yeah right, exactly. Okay, okay. Uh, I mean, the difficulty there is what what you've got to try and understand about miniatures is it's really it's what weapons they have. There are some, you know, there's good beneficial abilities uh, and uh, and special rules, but uh, it's really what weapons they're bringing to the to to bear on the enemy. So if you can get, you know. 40 hormigants with uh, effectively sword fists uh, attacking a, a, a unit of 20 Imperial Guards with their las guns. Uh, the las guns aren't going to make that much of a difference, uh, even at range, and especially not in close quarters, because as soon as you get into into combat, you're just going to mince them. So mm. yeah, that's what I thought, Darren. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, I remember you. I remember you talking about it before the record started. Yeah, <laughs> I think your nose is bleeding, mate. <laughs> um, question for you: If, as as an absolute noob, never played the tabletop, what faction would you say is a good faction for me to start? If I was like, right, I'm going to spunk a load of money now on a on, on an army to get into the tabletop gaming. What faction and what units would you suggest as a good start? If you are going to spunk a lot of money in it, I would suggest a Slaneshi army because that's the the, the god of <laughs> times. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, sorry, spunky. It, it really depends. On, like, what do you want to be able to do? Do you want to be able to be stealthy? Do you want to be able to do kind of clever tactical flanking maneuvers with kind of l- mm. uh, long lasting troops, or do you want to wade in with mass units, uh, or do you want to have a significant number of large units? Oh, I guess I'm, I'm asking you the same thing. What would you suggest as someone who's never played it? What do you think would be a good, accessible starting army for me? Easy to use, that has fun and would encourage me to play more. And that you can loot with. You love And you can loot with. You've got to have loot. You've got to have loads and loads and <laughs> loads loot. and loads of loot. 
I mean, the, the kind of dull prosaic answer is just buy the starter set for a given edition. Uh, and it, it's good if you can get these, if there's a couple of you buying, uh, because what okay. they do is you, you, you and a mate can get a starter set each, and then you can swap out one of the forces because there'll be two forces in the starter set. So you'll get right. double, double of your faction for the same price, if mm. you see what I mean. And you'll have all sure. the various other bits and bobs. But it's really, I mean, the, the, the archetypal one is Space Marines. That's the one where a lot of people start because they're the ones that uh, f uh, feature in um, sure. the starter sets most often. I mean, if you're wanting to spend only a couple of hundred pounds for a low model count, hard-hitting army, you go with the, uh, the Custodes, which are the Emperor's bodyguards. If you want to go for a mass, mass rank, army of like xenomorphs from from the aliens <laughs> yeah you go with space gaven uh or tyranids you go with the tyranids because you'll just have tons of uh miniatures sure but the same Swarms. then is true of yeah but then you can kind of the middle ground then you're looking at eldar you're looking at uh imperial guards they've got the you know the tank regiments that kind of idea mm, um yeah 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 and it depends then on the what kind of level of technology do you want them to have? Do you want them to be like God. basic Johnnies, or do you want them to be a you're more of a or somewhere in Crow, you're more of a kind of orc guy. It's like a dim sum restaurant. You just tick the the attributes you want. I want green with <laughs> sneakiness and uh, a couple of servings of flanky flanky. <laughs> in that case, you want the blood axe orc tribe. Because they are sneaky yeah. and green and have access to a couple of nice units as well. That's me then. <laughs> it was one of those like online digital kind of checklists. Um, the moment that you select green, it really limits the rest of the other options, doesn't yeah. it? It's like it's it's a orcs. dark oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, dark yeah, dark orcs dark or dark angels or the death guard who are Nurgle's troops. The, these phrases oh, yeah, are all okay. meaningless to most new listeners, but don't worry, we'll get to them eventually. We'll get there. On that point, should we should we get into the lore? What's what, what we? are we covering this month? Oh god, yeah, we're not just doing a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> that you were totally prepared for and it was going so well uh, so uh, so we've had episode one we had a kind of general overview uh episode two and three uh this is mostly for kral because i think he blacked out <laughs> <laughs> we had a, a very very high level uh, and quick summary of the nine editions of 40k that have ex existed and uh, describing which factions came into the game at, at what edition. So I thought we'd just, uh, we would take a break from that and enter what I think would be a, kind of a normal episode uh, moving forward where it's, it's lore-based, it's, it's not edition or game-based. Uh, so I thought we'd start with the, the setting as a whole, which is the galaxy, the Milky Way. Uh, which is uh, nice. the galaxy that 40k uh, happens in. Do they call it the Milky Way in 40k? Uh, no, they call it Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a significantly more 40k name than the Milky Way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does sound a little bit squishy, doesn't it? And a little bit nicey-nice. But what's ironic is the image they have for Gerald 
It's it's the Milky Bar Kid. No, do they do they have do they have a name for the galaxy? Do they just call it the galaxy? It's or just the galaxy, it? yeah. It's just the galaxy, right? Okay. So, galaxy. What as, as I've alluded to by calling it what it is, it is our galaxy. It is the it is the, <laughs> the Milky Way, aka Gerald. And um if you, you you're looking effectively at the a kind of forearm spiral uh, with the the kind of galactic core in the middle uh, and then four arms coming off and we're on the leftmost arm the, the the planet earth is on the leftmost arm as we alluded to in episode 1 uh, there is this kind of hellish alternate dimension called the warp now the warp is um where the chaos gods live it's the Kind of evil. Oh, what's the name of that movie? Event Horizon. Have you seen Event Horizon? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. the it, yeah, yeah. it's the hellscape within the Event Horizon, or the kind of home of the Cenobites from um, Hellraiser. So it's mm. an area of utter chaotic potentiality and souls. It's referred to sometimes as the Sea of Souls. Because all living things, when they're born, that have a soul, comes from the warp. Uh, and there are beings in there known as warp entities, a.k.a. demons and chaos gods. And other monsters mm. uh, in there. So that, if you can imagine, are the plane of reality uh, kind of sits within and on top of and underneath and slightly to the left of the warp. Uh, so they occupy the um, same space. Why? Why does the warp have to be so shit? Why can't it be a nice place? If, effectively, it's a place of pure emotion, uh, and the strongest emotions. Ignore the propaganda that Disney gives. The pro- strongest emotions <laughs> are the negative emotions, and these have coalesced. Right. So, um, souls that have been riddled. Uh, with a particular emotion, are attracted to others uh, that have the same emotion. Um, so it, you ha- effectively have an area of extreme emotion. So it's the evil version of all the douchebags that you meet at parties. All of them. Got it. In the war. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, it's not a pejorative. I'm not being discriminatory because I myself was one of those douchebags. Uh, so- <laughs> and still are occasionally. Oh, very nice to meet you, fellow douchebag. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good to meet you, too. It usually takes a couple of bottles of Baileys, though, doesn't it? A couple? Actually, yeah, a couple. <laughs> uh, and... <laughs> As listeners will uh, not be aware, I have... a. Addiction is a very no. It's an addiction. It's an obsession. To, uh, to <laughs> a healthy obsession. An obsession with, with Bailey's, and uh, and uh, Vic, my other half, just mentioned uh, just idly. She was literally just looking wistfully out the window and said, "God, imagine how big you'd be if there was Bailey's cream cheese." <laughs> <laughs> thought of the day with Vic, <laughs> and I thought to myself, "Jesus, I thought our relationship was really strong." <laughs> <laughs> so saying that saying that that the um 
the warp is basically just uber emotions. Um, it's an emotional kind of place, and most of the strongest emotions are negative emotions. Uh, in the warp, then, uh, are there, even if it's to a smaller degree, positive emotions, love, happiness, hope? Yes. Okay. Next question. <laughs> All right, fine. Yeah, yeah, they are, but but these are you know these will exist in little kind of slunk away pockets. They get pushed around and bullied by the other big yeah. emotions. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. or devoured uh, by the oh. the um, the sentiences. So uh, what you have to imagine is as more of these kind of uh, negatively imbued souls coalesce, um, they gain a level of sentience. Uh, and are thus able to um, kind of act independently uh, rather than just being a big bag of souls. <laughs> Your big bag of souls? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Said in a New York accent. Yeah, big <laughs> bag of souls, you jake. <laughs> I'm walking so, here. Uh, <laughs> Why the warp is important within 40k, uh, it really two major... Uh, two major aspects. One is travel. Uh, it's if you dip into the warp at one area, when you come out, you can be tens of thousands of light years away. Uh, and it's taken you an hour or a month or a year uh, rather than uh, sublight travel. Uh, it's just kind of uh, beavering along. Is that a phrase, beavering along? Yeah, it is now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because as I remember, you can travel through the warp, but it's not guaranteed at what point time it will take for you to arrive yeah. at your destination. Is that right? Yes. Can you ever arrive in the past? Uh, literally just about oh. to say there has been a couple of cases where uh, a ship has arrived before it left. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, I'm just going to the shops. I'll be back in a minute. And you arrive just before Hello. the conversation. What do you want from the shops? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> wait hold on you just left i already told you it's a fucking maltesers man get it done it is uh, people arriving before they had left is that very rare is that an exception rather than the rule though oh yeah it, it, within okay. the lore i think there's a uh an inquisitor called ravenor that happened to him although i can't recall exactly if it was ship-based travel or did he just get psychically kind of teed off back into the past um but yeah it, the, the the eddies and tides of time within the warp are unstable now because you need a, a kind of a, a set point to be able to navigate properly from wherever you are uh, within three dimensions that was why the astronomicon which is this large spherical uh, construction built into the himalayas on earth staffed I wouldn't say staff. Fuel. Uh, really, the more the the more like light bulbs. Mm. So you've got psychers <laughs> just plugged into the inside of this dome or inside of this sphere, and they focus the emperor's will and act as uh, a lighthouse. Um, I actually made someone uh, quite upset once by saying that the emperor effectively is a broken GPS unit. That that's effectively what he is in terms of um, the astronomical and guidance through the warp. Why did they get upset about that? Yeah, and who were they? They, they it was uh, it, it was, was the emperor. Internet. It was. 
it was an internet person uh, who uh, oh, seemed to think that the emperor was just the bee's knees. Right. Um, anyway, <laughs> the um... it was the emperor. <laughs> Do you, remember, do you remember me earlier saying I used to be a douchebag? Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> when you said used to be. Uh... Used to be. Like yesterday. Yes, this uh, happened yesterday. Okay. No. <laughs> but today, I'm great. I'm absolutely fine. I, I have love in my heart for everyone. Here. <laughs> um, people that use the astronomical, the signal, are... Well, it's the Imperial Navy and, and anyone who really owns a, a significantly sized ship, but they have to use someone called a navigator. Now, this is where we get into, oh, this is pulled straight out of the Dune works by Frank Herbert kind of characters and concepts. So these are mutants that can see the uh, the signal of the Astronomicon and every kind of warped capable craft of the Imperium has one. Never leave home without him. Uh, so, yes, guiding us back to the warp, the primary use is the travel. It allows for expansion. When you say that they're mutants, I think you mentioned that they had a, th- like a literal third eye, didn't they? They have yeah. a lit. yes, yes. Is that the only mutation that they have? Um, why, why are they considered mutants? Because they have a third eye, mate. Okay. <laughs> Wait, that's not normal? Oh, going to have to speak to the doctor about his third nipple. I hoped, yeah. I hoped it was going to help me uh, travel space, but apparently not. <laughs> yeah, only as part of a circus, mate. Uh, the... <laughs> yeah, it's their only real physical mutation is this uh, this third eye in the middle of the forehead but they have psychic abilities as well. And that is the second greatest kind of uh, facet of the warp is it's where psychic powers come from. Now, people new to the lore, psychic powers are magic. It's space magic. That's effective. Spagic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we're, we can't use those words. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yes, so it's the source of all psychic power um, in this uh, kind of universe. So it comes from uh, it, like people. Some people are born uh, with the capacity to see and channel uh, warp energy, uh, and these then are the what's called psychers. Psychers. Yeah, we talked about how the Imperium devours its own psychers to keep itself operational in terms of the Astronomicon, in terms of uh, feeding them to the Emperor, and in terms of conditioning psychers to be uh, communication systems and uh, weapons to keep the Imperium of Man going. So yes, as Kral pointed out, the Imperium is not a good thing. Uh, it, It just is. Uh, uh, and objectively, it's a you know totalitarian system of managing humans across uh, a galaxy. Just the name suggests they're a bunch of dicks. I bet they talk about themselves <laughs> in third person as well. You know what I mean? Really, yeah, like narcissistic. We are the Imperium of Man, and so on. Yeah. Well, Crowd, Ben doesn't agree with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> So the warp occupies a similar place as the as physical reality. It allows for speedy travel, although dangerous, and it allows for uh, the kind of condition of 
magic within uh, the 40k universe equally as dangerous mr chris i'm just trying to get my head around so you can travel light years um very well potentially very quickly and there lies a problem what use is that kind of space travel when you can't guarantee when you're going to arrive in what situation is it useful it allows for a more rapid expansion of the frontier of influence um, mm. throughout the galaxy and then operationally it it, it provides uh, logistics that doesn't take generations mm. to reach systems i mean the cases of ships disappearing it, it's not it, it's rare mm. uh, the cases of things arriving late not uncommon but in general there are safe passages through warp space referred to as warp routes right uh, okay but you're still at the the whims of the kind of powerful entities of the warp that can kind of knock a ship uh, a couple of weeks or a couple of years out of whack but before the discovery of the warp and the kind of advent of warp travel you're looking at sending out uh you know there there weren't really battleships as such there were arcs there were mm. generational ships mm. where it would be thousands of years before they arrived at their mm. their destination sure. rather yeah. than at, at worst a hundred years long. and just very last question on that was warp travel always inherently part of warhammer since day dot or did that get introduced in second editions later on in the law and pre that people were just snail mail as it were they were just crawling through space it, um, you have a kind of odd amalgam of them the warp existed uh, although it wasn't as clearly defined as it came to be later in the in okay. two books called the realms of chaos but you then had system ships dealing uh, within one solar system that could operate and didn't need to use the warp and okay. the warp routes that you mentioned mm -hmm. If they were, they would obviously have to be established through, I guess, a trial and error period. Yes. So, so was there, was the number of ships lost to warp travel higher in the past than it is nowadays, or say current day in in forty k with the with those warp routes in place? A hundred percent. Yes. Right. With early warp travel, this is where you get the advent of kind of what's referred to as the rogue traders. Uh, these are the kind of chartist captains, the kind of traveling merchants, the, the Marco Polos of space. Nice. Uh, and they would go off uh, expanding the kind of uh, knowledge and influence of the Imperium, but also mapping things as they go. Right. So you find that, you know, there are constantly instances of uh, in, in the various RPGs of characters coming across a, a derelict spaceship from you know ten thousand years ago, right. or a spaceship that has crashed onto a planet and now a city has been built around it. This kind That's of idea. Cool. Um, really so cool. yeah, so you are coming across what's called archaeotech, which is archaeological technology. Right. So mm -hmm. we're still talking. Say for instance, a thing has you found a thing that's fifteen thousand years old in present day forty k. That's still 25,000 years in the future mm. or 23,000 years in the future right. uh, from where we are now. Right. So it's... Crowl, it, you're bleeding from your nose again, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. In the future, past tense. Uh, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> 
So <laughs> the ships that they have, what's the fastest that they can travel not in the warp? I'm assuming that, you, that they don't have light, uh, light speed travel. No, no, not at all. So yes, so it's all, it's all sublight. So, I mean, the smaller crafts with larger engines, say we're talking naval, so we're talking like frigates and destroyers, they'll be the fastest ships. Um, you still are moving at a mass through space. Right. You're still bound by kind of... Uh, the laws uh, of physics. Call it? Velocity, yeah, laws of physics within, well, within most systems. Right. Um, but no, in terms of there's no light travel, there's no kind of light speed travel in fact, even with the warp, with the warp, you're not actually traveling. At, you're still traveling sub light, but you're dipping in and out of kind of shortcuts. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like um, actually to, to reference that film again, uh, Event Horizon, isn't isn't there a scene in that where he explains it by taking a bit of paper and drawing two dots? And he's like, the fastest yeah. point between them is a straight line unless you fold the paper together and then you just pass. Yeah. He punches a pencil through the two holes. So it is like a, it's a wormhole, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. And so concludes my physics lesson of the day. <laughs> and I'm spent. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow when I'll be using the same bit of paper to make an origami spaceship. <laughs> um. So, so effectively, in a nutshell, that's the warp. That's what the warp is used for functionally by the imperium of man so we're going to spend the next few episodes focused on the imperium of man and how it kind of operates within the universe i should or the galaxy i should say that there's a kind of third level of reality uh which is the webway which is strongly associated with the uh the eldar these are space elves in their various kind of flavors so the kind of Greco-Roman uh, Atlantean elves, the uh, Cenobite elves, and the um, kind of happy-go-lucky Harlequin performing space elves. Yeah. Space, space jesters. That's right. They do a lot of tumbling. Yeah. Yeah. A lot <laughs> and juggling on unicycles. Yeah. A lot of glass walls. Yeah. A lot of glass. <laughs> Did you just say they, they juggle unicycles? <laughs> Juggling on unicycles. Chris has never been to a circus before. That's not how it works, man. <laughs> I just love the idea of a weaponized unicycle. Um, <laughs> but these are true kind of stable wormholes through the warp. So it's constructed by who knows uh, and it allows for... The, yes, it was the old ones. I, I, why am I saying? Who knows? We covered it. We covered it in episode one. What am I doing with my life? Uh, the, <laughs> so it's the old ones have created this uh, passage through the warp that's safe and secure, or or was safe and secure, but is now fractured. And so there are uh, races and civilizations that exist within the webway, and it also allows for almost instantaneous travel. Uh, throughout the galaxy, depending on which webway gate. And regulated stable travel as well. In terms of the amount of time it takes to go from A to B using the webway, yes. Okay. Uh, it's not. It's no longer safe. Uh, the webway is no longer complete. It was fractured. Uh, yeah. And so you do encounter baddies in there. Would um, our perception of the webway be as our perception is normally? 
Do you know what I mean? Like, what does it, what does it look like? In most of the imagery and really uh, a lot of the kind of visuals for it were set out in the kind of uh, the Horus Heresy card game made by Sabretooth Games. Uh, you have like a golden shimmery tunnel. Um, but these are tunnels that have cities in them. Whole cities have been built within these enormous kind of tunnels right. and caverns. But it's a kind of golden, heavenly light, you know, a kind of warm. Mm. I was going to say a warm hole, but you know what I mean. It's just the, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's perceived as a kind of a series of golden tunnels. Right. Mm. Okay. Mm. Mr. Chris. Um, was the webway gifted to the Eldar by the old ones, or was it commandeered by the Eldar? Did they come across it and just thought, oh, we'll use this? Oh, I'll have that. It was really kind of suborned by the Eldar. The Eldar took it over after the old ones went away. Thank you uh, for explaining so what suborned it's... means. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally did either. I was like, he's, he's got to shed some light on that. They knew it existed, <laughs> and it was used by the old ones, uh, but they kind of elected to populate it and take it over and use it as a basis for travel and expansion of their own empire. So very much squatters' the, rights. Got uh, it. Yeah. Oh, hmm. I've forgotten the name. The 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 in the Mass Effect game, it's the the big gates that you can fire yourself across the galaxy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The space catapult. <laughs> space catapult. <laughs> a <yeah>. space trebuchet. <laughs> <laughs> Floing. <laughs> uh, so it's a so it's an adoption of an older civilization's technology, right? Mm. Effectively. So those are really the kind of three realities that exist at one time, but they all occupy the same space. Um, returning to our own real world uh, and the Imperium of Man, this Boo. is centered on. <laughs> this is centered on uh, our own world, on Terra, as it's known. Uh, so all distances really are measured from the small little planet that's on the, the kind of left, the most arm of the Milky Way galaxy. Um, and they, the Imperium then divides the galaxy into five kind of uh, sections or segmenta, as they're, they, they're referred to. So we have the Segmenta Solar, which is a vast amount of space centered around Earth, centered around Terra. Uh, and that's really the kind of home turf of the Imperium. So you're looking at vast uh, amounts of fleets, innumerable regiments of troops, space marines, kind of protectorates, homeworlds. Um, but it also denotes the kind of largest expansion of the human race pre-discovery of the warp. So that segmentum solar, that little kind of central enclave of humanity is where they had gotten to before uh, the advent okay. of warp travel. So so is that then, obviously, that area must be limited by the speed of their ships, like we were mentioning before. Like they couldn't have got very far. Yes. I'm guessing that the, it has a number of stars within it. It's a big enough area. It's not just the solar system, is it? Oh, no, not at all, no. It's significantly larger than the solar system. You're looking at, you know, somewhere between 80 and 100 light years in all directions. Wow. Um, so, uh, but centered hundreds... around our solar system. 
centered around our solar system. You're looking at hundreds of systems, perhaps thousands of habitable planets. Uh, the accepted reality of the the size of the Imperium in the lore, it's that there is a million habitable worlds, or sorry, there are a million worlds within the Imperium. Uh, right. So if you can imagine a million of any city existing spread across a huge area, that's imagine the logistics of trying to manage that. Not insignificant. Um, I can't even manage us. <laughs> like a, mi- a million worlds is insane. <laughs> I mean, you've got to also take into account that the average population is somewhere in the tens of billions per of planet. each place as well. You know, across the whole of the Imperium, the average uh, is tens of billions. I mean, you have, wow. there are planets that have hundreds of billions of people on it, but there are also planets that have half a million. And we'll cover some wow. of those as, as we go on. But uh, Planet laying down the lore only has three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? Uh, Edinburgh, London, and Cambridge, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hive City. <laughs> So the segmentum sort these are really kind of administrative areas. So we've got the segmentum solar, which is the heart of the Imperium. It's centered on Terra, just off to the left of, of the galactic core. Uh, north of that, then, you've got the segmentum obscurus. So this is really the hotbed of chaos and evil in the Imperium. It's where you've got something called the Eye of Terror, which is an area of space that has melded with the warp. Is that terror as in T-E-R-R-O-R, not terra? Uh, yeah. Amusingly, both of those phrases existed in the lore at the same time. The Eye of Terra <laughs> was the symbol of the Emperor and the symbol of the War Master Horus uh, as he as Terra looking forward to take control uh, and manifest the destiny of galactic conquest. Terra with an A. Terra with an A. The Eye of the Planet Terra. Uh, but the mm. Eye of Terror uh, is uh, an area terror. of space. Yeah, Terror, where the, um, <laughs> the warp has breached through. It's not the only place that this has happened, but... You have the Elbow of Terror... The yeah. Eternal of Terra. And it's completely different to the Eye of Terrier. The eye, <laughs> which is just this ironically gargantuan tiny dog uh, running around <laughs> space. Uh, which is also not the same as Terry's Eye. Terry's Eye. <laughs> you, ha- you have the chocolate orange of Terror. Uh, in... <laughs> you have the chocolate Terrier of Terror. You have... <laughs> Head, shoulders, knees, and toes of terror. <laughs> so we will cover some of these aspects as we move forward, but the important thing to kind of keep in mind is that the Eye of Terror are where the kind of forces of chaos in general exist. That's their kind of home section. It is also where it used to be the home empire of the Eldar. Uh, and there was an event oh, wow. there that caused the warp uh, just to break through and uh, kill effectively 98 out of every 100 Eldar 
was uh, drawn into the warp. Um, and that event is referred to as the fall of the Eldar. Um, and that is an important event, really for two main reasons, neither of which we're going to cover now. Moving on. <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> They oh. left the warp tap on, didn't they? They left the warp tap on. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, but I, I would encourage people to keep uh, the fall of the Eldar as a thing in their head uh, when we mm. move forward. Mm. Uh, to the east of this Segmentum Solar, we have the Ultima Segmentum. Um, this really is the largest segmenta within the Imperium, and it covers really from the boundary of the Segmentum Solar all the way out to the opposite edge of the galaxy. Uh, so it covers a significant portion of the galactic core and then effectively the rest of the galaxy. You could fit all four of the other Segmenta within the Ultima Segmentum. Now, this is the one where you're looking at constant conflict all the time, 24-7, perhaps 24-8 if you're using the warp, uh, and, um, <laughs> you know, almost every race that humanity encounters is found within the Ultima Segmentum. Uh, there is a, a, a minor warp storm there called the Maelstrom, and that's important because it was the site of the first Space Marine Civil War recorded within 40k lore in terms of published uh, the biggest one and the one that predates everything else is the Horus Heresy, and we'll cover that in a few episodes' time. But the Badab War was the first kind of published conflict between Space Marine chapters, Space Marine armies. And when was that in the... Where was that in the timeline? In the timeline, that is about 500 years ago. Uh, right, but okay. the Horus Heresy was over 10,000 years ago. Gotcha. Um the other kind of important areas in there, really there's only kind of one. You're looking at Ultramar, which is the homeworld of the Ultramarines, hence Ultima Segmentum. Uh, it is where the, the kind of 500 worlds of Ultramar existed. This was a pseudo second Imperium of Man uh, set up on the far side of the galactic core where the ultramarines kind of governed as these planetary leaders uh, and sector leaders kind of securing peaceful domination for the the human race now this was devastated during the horus heresy um, an event as i say will cover but it's the kind of second largest concentration of cohesive human power in Imperium history outside of the relative security of the Segmentum Solar. So is that rebuilt since the since its destruction during the heresy? Uh, yes, but not with not with the same efficacy. It's not as right. uh, efficient a system as it used to be. Uh, so with 40k, the important thing to keep in mind is it's a decaying, it's a high technology decayed into misunderstanding. So that's really what's going on across the, the, the Imperium. Um, all of these segmentum have, are kind of at the edges, uh, are bounded by mysterious regions. So in the Ultima segmentum, it's the, the eastern fringe. So that's the boundary of Imperial control. 
So you do have rogue traders and armies and fleets go off into these areas, but a few of them return. It's so dangerous out there, either because the laws of physics are screwed up, because the you know there's uncharted warp space, warp storms out there, or there are alien empires that are just kind of you know destroying anything that comes near them. Uh, there are multiple reasons. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, with the mm-hmm. um, with the Segmentum Obscurus, they're called the Halo Stars. With the, the Ultima Segmentum, uh, at the bottom kind of two-thirds, you've got the Eastern Fringe. At the top, you've got the Ghoul Stars. So it's a, it's a horror show for humanity uh, when they venture out into these spaces. So moving, continuing to move clockwise, at the bottom underneath the Segmentum Solar, we've got the Segmentum Tempestus. Um, Really nothing of, of, of huge note there. There are some significant imperial bastions there. Uh, it, it's really where the seat of the kind of cult of emperor worship, the emperor's worship as a god. Uh, so there's a, a planet there called Ophelia 7, and that's a real... Um, as I say, bastion planet. of faith. <laughs> yeah, it's a real planet. Uh, I don't know what you've heard. It does exist. Um, you fucking planet. <laughs> but really, this is where a lot of religious wars are kicked off. Uh, a lot of uh, crusades, the, the kind of rhetoric for those crusades can be found within the segmentum tempestus. And at the bottom of that, again, bounded by something called the Veiled Region, the similar story right around the edge of the Imperium, where it's uh, you've got the edge of known space, as it were, and after that you've kind of got just the void of um, kind of intergalactic space. Uh, the final then is the Segmentum Pacificus, which is to the west, uh, or as I like to say, left of the Segmentum <laughs> Solar, uh, and that's um, it's largely how would you describe it? It's largely like frontier territory it's not really heavily populated in terms of imperial control over planets uh, it's still part of the imperium however it's uh, it's a wild west really uh, because everything is focused off north to the eye of terror south the navel gazing of imperial religion and uh, east is really where the main kind of conflicts and wars are being carried out now what I've just described there is the galaxy up to the seventh edition. There is an event called a Black Crusade, and it's the 13th Black Crusade, done by the forces of evil that were beaten back during the Horus Heresy. So these are things that have been planned for 10,000 years. Unlike this episode. At the end of. <laughs> <laughs> and they still had technical difficulties, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they had a lot of time to sort them out, didn't they? If we had 10,000 years, do you think this episode would have started better? <laughs> no. I think in 10,000 years, this episode won't even be finished yet. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of 7th edition, there was this huge Black Crusade, the 13th in number, led by the kind of second-in-command of the arch-traitor Horus, after whom the Horus heresy is named after. And there's no record of what actually happened, but the the galaxy split in two. Uh, 
they brought about a, a warp storm of such magnitude that it tore the galaxy in half, diagonally from the Eye of Terror in the top left down to the kind of the, the bottom third of the Ultima Segmentum in the, in the bottom right. And so you have a section of warp space bisecting the entire galaxy. Was uh, that intentional? Uh, yes, it appears to have been intentional. So I described that the Eye of Terror was the original home empire of the Eldar. So once those planets were sucked into the warp, they turned into what's called demon worlds, which are just, mm. it's hell. It, it, effectively, they are different flavors of hell. But still within corporeal space? Well, within a kind of um, an overlap. You, could, you can travel mm. there... The planet still exists where they had existed in the real world or in the uh, kind of corporeal reality, um, but they were awash with the warp. Um, so it was a, a mix. So it's, uh, you know, really bad. Half weather. in, half out. Half in, half out. Uh, that was limited really to the Eye of Terror and to maybe a handful of other sections uh, within the galaxy, but on a, you know, these sections maybe contain one or at most two worlds. What you have now is hundreds, perhaps thousands of planets across the entire galaxy have been absorbed into the warp. They've been drawn in um, and the galaxy has been split uh, in two. So what you have now, the kind of bottom right half, you're looking at something called Imperium Sanctus. So this is where... The Imperium Solar still exists, the Tempestus and uh, Pacificus, so um, South and West still exist, but are, you know, rent with large areas of um, warp storms. So uh, lots of planets have been sucked in. Uh, It cut the Ultima Segmentum almost cleanly in half, the largest section. And I should say at this stage, listeners, those of you whose noses are bleeding, maps will be provided. Um, <laughs> to mop up the blood. You then have this huge... <laughs> yeah, to mop up the blood. You then have this huge wall of warp um, that separates the kind of Imperium Sanctus from what's called the Imperium uh, Nihilis. Uh, so the Dark Imperium, as it's referred to. It's called the Dark Imperium because the light of the Astronomicon, that thing that's crucial for navigators to navigate the warp safely, cannot be seen. It's obscured behind this kind of galactic-sized warp storm. Um, wow. Let me guess. Let me guess. It is an area rife with Nell dwellers towards the Imperium. Lots of black market trading goes on there and stuff like that behind the Imperium's back because they can't see um, into it? We're to, yeah, well, I, I suppose yes, but that's true of anywhere near the fringes of the uh, Imperium and their various segmenti. Um, what you're really looking at is there are now just, it's just demon worlds. It's hell. It's a strip of hell right through the galaxy that absorbs and spat out some planets, but also has transformed the galaxy into hell so you've you've got a vastly mm. reduced kind of operational imperium you've got then a 
a kind of well it's referred to as the dark imperium it's the what happens mm. when when the organizational principle and the organizational bureaucracy of a vast empire collapses it's the post-apocalyptic imperium of man wow. so mm. and know, is that only through that that strip or is it or is it across the other half the opposite side from where the true imperium is yeah have you kind of got like east and west milky way now and they both yeah. operate very differently. Or is it just the gash that you described? Please, please don't use the word gash. Um, <laughs> was it the nagash? You know, the, is nagash, it the nagash. No, if you can imagine, uh, if you broke a plate, if you broke a dinner plate in two cleanly, and then use the, uh, I've forgotten the name of the, the Japanese craft that's used to repair things with gold. Oh, yeah, so yeah. So you use yeah, gold yeah. strip down the middle. So the bottom half of the plate is is good the top half of the plate is the is somewhat ironically the other half of the plate but there's this strip <laughs> in the middle um which is in this analogy that strip is hell right that okay. strip right. is warp space is broken through but the other half of the plate what's the deal there is that hell as well or is it just a collapsed empire collapsed it's it's a collapsed empire i mean people didn't just kind of throw themselves down and cry there's constant warfare (laughs) they're 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 not being the reinforcements aren't as coming as readily they are coming there are a few kind of traversable areas but they are you know in a constant state of war but the 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 big thing is a lot more vulnerable now they don't have the support and the backup right i see yeah Yeah. what what warp travel is incredibly dangerous but not impossible um Mm. through the various established routes but a lot more ships are going missing a lot more ships are arriving later or earlier um you know, uh, communication. A lot more that's, tutting going on. Yeah, you're late. <laughs> yeah. In my yeah, in my day, um, <laughs> was it Maltesers you wanted? I just left for the shops two minutes ago. <laughs> it's the level of communication. The established methods of communication no longer really work in the Dark Imperium. Uh, they do work locally, but there's not really any way of getting a cohesive message, a long-form message through to uh, Terra or the various forces therein. Um, so, can they travel through the Ganache? Um, there are only a couple of places of truly safe travel, but this is on a sliding scale. We're talking about traveling through war zones. You can travel through. The warp, but uh, you know, don't the warp's butt. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can travel through the warp, comma, but uh, it's very. I was about However, to say, I was about to say, you can travel through the warp colon, but you can't, <laughs> you can't and 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 other amusing punctuation, uh, so that you can, uh, you know, y- your odds are not great. Uh, because mm, mm. The, the primary uh, enemies you would face within these warp spaces are demons, like literal demons, uh, and so mm. they can uh, assail your ships in a much more straightforward fashion, even even at regular sublight, uh, without dipping into the warp because of the crossover. Mr. Chris. Wow. Was this the intention of the Black Crusade? It is believed to have been the intention of the, of that Black Crusade, yes, but 
it's unknown. It's explicitly not discussed. Um, okay. So the Black Crusade do not like the Imperium of Man, boo. The Black Crusades are organized by the forces of chaos, led by uh, a character called Abaddon, uh, who okay. was the, he was the second in command of um, the Despoiler. Horus. Abaddon the Despoiler, absolutely. Chris, I call shenanigans. He's been he's been learning off book. I call shenanigans as well. I don't think that we've even discussed any spoilage. Dude, that little nugget of knowledge that I just uh, 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 I just regurgitated, I'm now going to have a stroke as a consequence. So <laughs> I'm done. Chris, your other, your other nostrils bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. And you've grown a second nose. <laughs> yeah. Bam. Is that third eye? So, uh, yes. Yeah, so the galaxy, re- really, it's a shit show. Uh, it it's like just it. a, an absolute roiling mess of hellscapes uh, and warfare. Perfect for a tabletop game, Mr. Chris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, right. 13th Black Crusade split the, uh, the galaxy, the Milky Way, diagonally in half. Fruit chopped it. Um, is the Milky Way, although it's got this big scar or ganache through the middle of it now, is it still one galaxy and rotating and then operating in the same kind of singular manner? Do you know what I mean? Uh, the, the short answer is yes. The laws of okay. physics around all these demon worlds uh, and warp storms are, uh, the polite way to, to say it is suspended. Uh, you know, mm, mm. you know, interstellar rain of giant frogs is nothing to these guys. They're used to it. it it's just it's sure, sure. Deal. Yeah, wow. yeah. It's just an inconvenience these days. Um, yeah. So the Milky Way hasn't been split into Milky Way Part One and Two. Now they're not two separate entities. St- the Milky Way as one still exists. There's just a big old galactic cut through the middle. That's all. Uh, yes, physically, it it's yeah. still one galaxy, but that galaxy now includes. A huge mm-hmm. rent right through the middle of it, as in diagonally from uh, uh, top left to bottom right. But the uh, the Imperium of Man has been, and I love this phrase, cleft in twain. I knew you were going to oh, say cleft oh. in twain. You love that phrase. Yes. Mm-hmm. You got a cleft in twain T-shirt. I feel, I feel like you should have that on a T-shirt. Be on his tombstone. <laughs> it's on his tombstone. <laughs> It'll be on both my tombstones. <laughs> yeah, it only works if he's actually clefted Twain. It's he's one giant get cleft tattooed on one knuckle and Twain on the other. <laughs> I can just see it now. He gets attacked by some sort of samurai and cut into three, and he's lying there looking at the other two parts of his body. He's like, "But this isn't Twain. <laughs> How do we cleft? It could be worse. I could be. I could be cleft by Twain, which is cleft as a samurai dressed as Mark Twain." come cruise with us citizen of the imperium on supremacy pilgrimages galactic cruise holidays find your own frontier on our state approved package options experience adventure within the lush green jungles of Katachan Take a dip in the clear blue waters of Malmar. Go zorbing over the dunes of Iroc. Or simply gaze in awe at galactic wonders as we glide in relative safety through the warp.
enjoying all of the Imperium-endorsed entertainment aboard our flagship vessel, Hammer of Xenos. Representing the very latest in oppressive luxury, Hammer of Xenos boasts not one, not two, but three designated canteens, all recipients of the coveted Inquisitor's Golden Spoon Award. And you'll always be well rested in our choice of bunks to suit your budget. Share your quarters with 1,000, 500, or just 200 other fellow citizens. Book now and take advantage of our no-return, no-fee promotion. And if you don't make it back, you'll get a full, no-quibble, 100% refund. Supremacy Pilgrimage's Galactic Cruise Holidays. It's the only choice you have. So, that is the state of the kind of physical galaxy of the Imperium. It is a, a roiling fucked. mess. Uh, and mm -hmm. You could have just said it was fucked from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that, but, but then the episode would only have been like two minutes long or two hours mm -hmm. long, depending on how we, uh, how we edit. Um, yeah. I thought it might be useful just to kind of run through uh, some of the planets or types of planets that exist within the Imperium. Um, mm. This kind of give you an idea of uh, kind of bureaucratically how these things are assigned and also what types of planets are there to give you a kind of idea of the different technology levels and the different kind of organizational levels that exist. Um, each planet can have more than one kind of designation. So you have the kind of biome style uh, planets. So these are planets that are all of one thing. Like they're all desert, like, you know, Dune um, or Arrakis, sorry, in, uh, in the Dune series. So planets that are all one type of biome. So the most famous desert world in 40K is called Talarn. Um, that's where a, a, a kind of elite unit of or elite regiments of um, uh, the Imperial Guard are raised. And this highlights a kind of organizational doctrine that there are so many different biomes that wars are fought in that there are specialized regiments used to fighting in deserts. So raised from desert worlds or raised from ice worlds uh, like uh, uh, Valhalla. So these are uh, another kind of famous uh, world that r regiments of um, troops used to fighting in frozen tundra, uh, frozen planet conditions are raised. Uh, you then go through all of the normal kind of... Uh, I w the, the word that struck me straight away was arboreal, and I don't know why. <laughs> so you've got, you've got like jungle worlds and ocean worlds and kind of uh, temperate worlds... Uh, and other um, types of biomes. If they arrived at a planet to take it over and discovered that it's a jungle planet, but they're like, yeah. oh shit, we're desert dudes. Would they like not go on that planet and call it and be like, hello, is that jungle, jungle, jungle man? Oh, we don't, come in? we don't swing this way. Yeah, we don't swing. <laughs> Quite literally. We do trees. We need a jungle swinger. Can you, can you send jungle man, please? <laughs> and then they have to wait for those guys to turn up. Or would they just be like, Fuck it, guys. Let's leave our tan fatigues on the floor, paint ourselves green, and get down there. Cause some 
It's a good question. Most planets are um, discovered by these rogue traders, uh, and rogue traders uh, will have small detachments of various imperial army, uh, sorry, imperial guard or uh, space marines attached. Now, space marines will fight in any conditions, so whatever the planet looks like is irrelevant. They may have slightly windy, slightly (laughs) gusty. Bit blowy, yeah. <laughs> when it's a fine rain, you know, like just a fine yeah. sideways rain. Ugh, that's the worst. They're, they're British. Yeah. They they won't fight unless it's just you know not too hot, not too cold, uh, <laughs> light drizzle. <laughs> the th- At the worst. thing, yeah. The thing to keep in mind, listeners, dear listeners, these regiments that are taken as a, a kind of in- regiments of imperial guard. Each one of these soldiers is better than any soldier we have on planet Earth right now. So these are mm. the elite of the elite. Our armies would be considered a planetary defense force, which is what each each imperial governor, each ruler of a planet, is required to have a force uh, at arms to be able to defend his planet from threats without and within. Only the best of those units receive further training and, in some cases, modification uh, to become Imperial Guard-worthy regiments. Wow, I mean, like. each one of these soldiers is, you know, Rambo times ten. Uh, mm. Wow! And amusingly, there is a Rambo figure within the Imperial Guard called Marble. And he is uh, Rambo. He's a, yeah, and he, he, he is quite literally a one-man army. He's the That's Chuck cool. Norris of space. <laughs> That's amazing. And he does have a miniature. But, What's he um, called? Marbo. Marbo. It's just ra- Rambo mixed up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so these units, so a, 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 a regiment raised from a desert planet would still fuck up pretty much anything on a jungle world. Um, but they have a, they are slightly better. As good as they are, they are slightly better when uh, fighting within their kind of chosen milieu or the, the training they received or the planet they grew up in, the thing they're used to. Uh, so it's a, hmm. a, a, a more of an advantage. So biomes can play a big deal in the kind of classification of planets, but I thought in terms of kind of generic classifications, uh, really we start with feral worlds. These are worlds that, uh, from our perspective, would be no more advanced than the Iron Age. And in general, their population is about four, four or five million. Yeah, just four. So there's four people. Uh, <laughs> Probably as well organized no, as this Krell, podcast. Darren, yeah. so, Ben, and Frodo. <laughs> Yeah, four four or five million people on this planet. Mm. Now these are like uh, a lot of space marine uh, chapters, which is the organizational uh, term for a a discrete kind of space marine army. They recruit heavily from feral worlds because these are the ones where it's everything is a fight for survival. You know, space marines tend to recruit around about the age of eleven or ten. Or sorry, I went backwards there. Around about eleven or twelve, <laughs> uh, you just went to a space warp. Uh, space warp. I've, I've warp spaced my own reference, um, <laughs> and so that's because 
a lot of the uh, surgery and implants that's, that go into making a space marine have to be done pre or during puberty. So the body is awash with all these chemicals that turn them into these super warriors. But to do that, they need it to be on an extremely strong uh, frame. And in general, the populace of feral worlds, because there's this constant fight for survival, uh, are the the kind of strongest raw materials um, mm, mm. With, makes sense uh, available to them the next step up then is feudal worlds uh, and this kind of touches on two things here so feudal we're looking at pre-industrial revolution in terms of technology uh, and you're somewhere around about 500 million people on the planet so there's been an advance. Civilization, and in quotes, exists. Um, there are not on any of these kind of world-spanning cultures. It's all as we are now. It would be individual countries or states. Um, wow. So there's a great deal of feudal worlds. It underpins the kind of uh, the feudalism of the Imperium. Uh, everything is nobility and aristocracy. That is how the Imperium is ruled uh, from planetary governors uh, who are the kind of those uh, pet um, Imperial citizens uh, put into position to govern a planet in the Imperium's name and to meet the constant tides. So each uh, planet has to produce a certain amount of something to satisfy a taxation requirement. Um, so in feral worlds, this is going to be uh, people. Uh, in general, it's going to be the toughest and strongest. In feudal worlds, it will also be the toughest and strongest, but they also have to produce raw materials like, uh, you know, coal or ore, ore, or ore. Um, and these then are taken off and processed on various other facilities to keep the bureaucracy and mechanism of war going uh, within the Imperium of Man. We touched there on uh, your question, Ben, about uh, coming across a new world. These worlds actually have a name. They're called frontier worlds, uh, discovered in general, discovered either by the rogue traders or by uh, fleets of explorers, or as they refer to them, explorators uh, of the Adeptus Mechanicus. And these are the uh, kind of machine priests of the Imperium. These are the, it'll give you an idea of how they operate. Their equivalent to an engineer is an engine seer. So there's a mysticism associated with um, right. technology within the Imperium. But yes, there are frontiers world all around. And let me use this phrase, the frontier of the Imperium of Man. Um, <laughs> aptly named. Aptly named. Just a quick question. Would um, uh, the fated planet in Warhammer Fantasy be classed as a feudal world by 40k standards? A hundred percent. And uh, listeners will recall that in episode one, we touched on, there's a single paragraph in the um, Chaos Codex for the second edition uh, under the entry for a demon named Nakari, who appears both in 40k lore and in fantasy lore. And it's a throwaway comment about there being a planet where the kind of forces of good have constantly fought off chaos and Nakari as well. Uh, and that was really the only idea of 
the Warhammer, the planet of referred to as the fated place in Warhammer Fantasy being a planet within the Imperium of Man. Um, mm, so mm. yes, it, it it would be. Um, I I like to think there's lots of Warhammer Fantasy worlds with their own shit going down. I think that's a cool yeah. a cool concept. I think g- given the kind of uh, the racial diaspora of humanity and the concept of abhumans, which are humans who have developed over thousands of years uh, or cultures that have developed over thousands of years on like high gravity planets or low gravity planets. Yeah. Squats, ogrins, uh, you've got um, uh, beast men or, you know, bestial abhumans. So these are mixtures of people and usually goats. Um, The, So moving on, we're looking now, the next kind of jump up are civilized worlds. This would be the kind of base entry level for this is our own world as it stands now. Uh, uh, And then worlds perhaps with another couple of thousands uh, of years of uh, development in terms of uh, society and technology. Um, And really, it's they've been allowed to progress without any kind of specialization outside of what kind of biome they might have at this stage still a lot of these worlds don't know that any other world exists uh, in terms of like feral worlds feudal worlds frontier worlds and civilized worlds there is a level of nobility uh, within each planet that will realize that this galactically spanning empire exists and deals with the uh the the kind of bureaucratic ent- entities of these uh, of this uh, imperium but uh, in general day-to-day citizens they don't really know anything about the imperium some do but that knowledge has been seeded in uh either by the uh the adeptus terra so the kind of bureaucratic bean counters or by the ecclesiarchy, which is this the kind of church of the Imperium. Mm. Uh, but it's not done in any kind of real heavy-handed way. It's kind of fed mm. in, they kind of suborn uh, the myths and legends of various cultures uh, on each world and kind of steer it towards an eventual understanding that you worship this god, but in fact what you were worshipping was the Emperor of Man. Um, wow. mm. Interesting. So they're kind of like the fish in the pond kind of thing. Exactly like right. There is the pond, nothing outside the pond. The pond is the only thing that exists kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, you do have on a number of these uh, kind of civilized worlds, in quotes, uh, there's a secondary classification where some of them are referred to as night worlds. Uh, and a lot of these are found within the segmentum solar, within that initial sphere of expansion of humanity uh, with these generational uh, craft. Uh, we touched on something called the standard template construct, the STC, which is kind of oh, the yeah. uh, the wiki how of colonies. So it's a hmm. a, a, a nuclear powered three uh, D printing engine uh, that allows you to take plans for everything you would ever need when setting up a new kind of planetary um, culture uh, and. Uh, allows you then to create it, the facilities to create it. Civilization starter kit. Yeah, love it. Exactly right. Exactly right. So mm-hmm. these night worlds, what they've done is they've taken uh, the kind of agricultural 
uh, robots, agricultural walking uh, tanks uh, or walking tractors, as they originally were, that guided these huge herds um, of livestock around the place. Uh, these evolved to become kitted out with more and more advanced weapons until eventually you had what's referred to as the knights, hence night worlds. So these are huge combat walkers, usually armed with a fairly uh, large bore cannon and an enormous chainsaw, which referred to as the, a chain sword. Um, and these uh, now are used in defense, but they are treated uh, historically, or sorry, they're treated culturally as knights would be from our own kind of uh, medieval period. These are the That's nobility. Cool. These are always the ruling class. Uh, and so some of these are, or most of these are on civilized worlds, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are on feudal worlds or uh, various other types of worlds that we'll, um, we'll, we'll cover. And these are just manned, uh, manned mecha. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, exactly right. right. Mecha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but they used as... to be agricultural. They used uh, they, their original their original purpose and their original kind of uh, iteration was uh, a walking tractor. That's so. And cool. then they grew a chainsaw and a big fucking gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Extreme. Just so a really really advanced scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a mechanized <laughs> scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'm hoping you're seeing there. There's a, a kind of logical development from feral, so so from uh, feral to feudal, feudal to civilized. So what comes after civilized? Well, really, you split off in kind of two directions. Uh, one is industrial. You get industrial worlds, which are uh, planets that are focused to the production of a single thing, uh, or you know, a small handful of things, uh, where the population uh, lives and dies within factories or factorums, as they're called in uh, in 40k. Wow. Um, but these are planets that are not under the control of the of the cult of the machine god. So they're not under the control of the Adeptus Mechanicus. So they don't produce hugely advanced pieces of equipment. They produce very basic things by the Imperium standard. So mm. firearms, armor. Uh, this kind of day-to-day -day stuff uh, within right. the Imperium, a lot of clothing, uh, some food, some processing of food and goods, uh, anything that you know takes in a resource, refines it and pumps out something else um, right. of relatively low technology is done on industrial worlds. The other way that um, civilized worlds kind of travel or evolve is to these things called hive worlds. Now, these are the archetypical planets that are shown within uh, 40k lore. Uh, the two most famous, really, is Necromunda, which you may have heard of because it has its own, uh, it has its own game, um, a kind of skirmishy game. But then you've also what? Why are you laughing? I just love the I just love the name Necromunda. Necromunda. <laughs> <laughs> Necromunda. It sounds like something the turtles would say, doesn't it? Like, no yeah, command, exactly. dude. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the kind of defining characteristic of hive worlds are these hives. Now, these are cities that have no grown. Way. <laughs> <laughs> these are cities. 
These are cities that have grown around the original core, which is the uh, the kind of the spacecraft that brought the original colonists there. So over time, you have this kind of conical uh, monstrosity that grows up to uh, five miles in height. Uh, wow. So it, it's a it's a a man-made mountain of a, a city. Uh, Shit. You you get, really get two types of hive worlds. So you get Necromunda is a great example because you have clusters of these hives dotted around the planet uh, and the planet has kind of been stripped bare of resources. Uh, and so it's kind of everything outside of the hive is kind of Mad Max uh, style yeah. uh, existence. And the life inside the hives is not that much better. Uh, it's very kind of claustrophobic and feudal. So where you live in the hive depends on what your social status is. So if you're a, a member of the nobility, you will live in either the outer skin, the outer layer of the hive, uh, or at the very top. Uh, and if you're right. the lowest, mm. you live within the core of the hive, uh, maybe down even uh, into what's referred to as the underhive. Um, because what you have to imagine is as the hive is expanding and growing and uh, it, over thousands of years, the internal sections are rotting and collapsing. So really it's right. the, yeah. the kind of the honeycomb hideout of uh, kind of uh, humanity within these hive um, hive structures. Oh, Sounds fucking shit. The now, way you it? were describing the uh, the, the planet Necromunda, it's very much like is it the ju- the planet like Judge Dredd? Well, it, which is Earth, you know, many hundreds of years from now, where you've got the mega cities, a, a few, a handful of mega cities, and the rest is just bare, barren, yeah, desert basically around the world. Yeah, Ex- exactly right. That's exactly what it mm. um, what it appears to have been drawn from, in fact, because. You know, each one of these hives will contain a couple of billion people, uh, yes, and requires constant um, imports of foods and goods to keep everyone going. Uh, uh, there is, in, we will do an episode on Necromunda itself to describe what it's like living in there, but just in terms of of purely of feeding. Is it shit? <laughs> Well, now we don't need to do the episode. You've kind of summed it up. It's just shit. It's just shit. You could fit all of China in one hive, say. That is bananas. I wouldn't. Mm. I wouldn't advise it. (laughs) But you could. You could. I mean, this, again, highlights your desperate need to... is it, it what would the word be to concentrate specific cultures in areas? And, and I, we, we've talked to you about this before. Whoa, 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 whoa! These are <laughs> whoa, baseless whoa, whoa. accusations. <laughs> so what you're saying, Darren, is China could be there, India could be there, and never shall they be cleft in twain. Uh, hey. Never shall they be cleft in twain. Uh, and what's amusing about that is that there is a, a hive in Necromunda that was cleft Called in twain. And we will cover it when we cover uh, mm. uh, Necromunda itself. But but there are things called super hive worlds. And these really, for anyone who's a, a fan of Star Wars, it's Coruscant. It's where the entire surface of a planet uh, and much of its kind of substructure, much of the kind of underground is is 
uh, turned into uh, living space or factories or 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 um, urbanized urbanized that's the word um absolutely jam-packed yeah okay yes but so w- the entire planet is just one city and the biggest example of that is terra is the uh, our own home world which no longer looks as you know the way it uh, as it does now the seas how ha- the seas have gone there's no kind of green life outside of the gardens of the nobility um and everything is cities that are miles deep completely around the crust it's not self-sufficient if 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 it was cut off by a, a warp storm uh it would descend into a kind of you know a horror show within hours um mm. as you know hundreds of billions of people are now suddenly not able to feed themselves um wow. i i did i i have forgotten something uh I was going to say in Necromunda what the, the the most common type of food is. It's referred to as corpse starch. So they take the bodies of people and process them down to the molecular level uh, and then recombine them into effectively soylent green. So wow. the population of each hive, a significant portion of their diet is the dead of the planet. Is the is the dead of their own hive, uh, and there are, you know, there there are structures and organizations in place to make sure that that type of food uh, is constantly available. Because what you don't want is a revolt of the billions working under you, because it will just devastate uh, the hive mm. that you're on. So anyway, moving on. <laughs> So uh, we touched on the kind of directions these planets go after si- being civilized. They go to industrial worlds or they go to hive worlds. We're then looking at, again, more specialized worlds after this. So you have mining worlds. Guess what happens there? They're usually... Foosball. Uh, Did you say miming? Yeah, Is that miming. This... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Lots yeah, yeah. of lots of glass plates. Lots yeah. of glass An entire planet populated <laughs> by that lost French art. No, mining, <laughs> as in digging. <laughs> so these are enti- entire worlds that are turned into strip mines. That they're so just they're all their resources are extracted. A lot of it is automated. There may be a you know a garrison of a couple of hundred thousand workers there and managers. But again. This is not under the auspices of the kind of the mystic machine cult with an L uh, that is looking after the kind of higher tech. These are just uh, planets used exclusively as raw materials. Um, you then have the, the other half of that production process or the other end of that production process. You have waste worlds. You have worlds that are literally landfills. Uh, wow. So uh, worlds that are given Grim. over in, to um, uh, fly tipping, effectively galactic fly tipping. Um, I've never understood why. You know, if you had if you had the ability to do that, why wouldn't you just fire that shit into a star? Mm. Like, why wouldn't you just yeah. don't drop all of that into a sun or something? Maybe they're big into recycling. You know, as part of the fly tipping planet, you get teams of scavengers, and you know, like you know, on the coast, is it in like the south? South Asia, where you get like the, the oh yeah, the, you've the seen the ship those. shipyard yeah. graveyard yeah. places, and they just yeah. tear them apart for all their like Do, metals and things like that. Are the waste planets populated? 
they will have a, a kind of functional working populace there. Um, but really, it's some of these are also used as prison planets. Like most of the mining worlds are e either are prisoners or are slaves uh, who, who are producing this um, the, the raw materials. On the waste worlds, the descendants of the original colonizers will be uh, either mutated or out of favor or just forgotten. Uh, mm. And so... You will have, you know, clans of rubbish warriors uh, fighting for existence <laughs> and domination. Naff. <laughs> Shaking their garbage sticks at them. Yeah. 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 The, top, yeah. the top of a dustbin for a shield. But... Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, you know, you're, you know you're, you're looking at skirmishes amongst the kind of diaper planes of Oscar IV. This kind of <laughs> <laughs> this kind of thing, but it but it touches on a, a, a your question touches on a good point because these planets will have occupied that role for millennia, so you don't know what combination of what refuse is producing something beneficial, uh, like in Necromunda, there is a a specific type of kind of food bar that was brought in during early colonization that left alone uh, rots into this uh, kind of dust called that's renamed as spook because it gives you this kind of hallucinogenic uh, experience, but also bestows on you for, uh, you know, a limited amount of time, the abilities of a psyker. You, you're able to actually become a, 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 a psychic uh, being Usually with uh, with bad results, but that only comes around because of an abandoned type of product. So one must assume mm. in all these waste worlds there are something similar, or there's some lost piece of technology that was mistaken as rubbish and is thrown away. So these are good areas for kind of what would you describe it? Galactic scrumping. Yeah. Is that a thing? <laughs> Do you think we can make that yeah. scavenging? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. scavenging. Yeah. yeah. Um, so all of these really are worlds where life is hard. You know, it's it's it, it, it's a, a challenge to stay alive in a lot of these worlds, just amongst the populace and a little bit of the environment. You then get worlds which are referred to as death worlds. They sound fun. They, these are like biome worlds, like uh, jungles or ice worlds that are utterly inimical to human life insofar as everything is trying to kill them all the time simply because they exist. It's not happening because of a kind of malign intelligence. It's just simply the environment and the, uh, the life there is so aggressive that they're, it's, just, it's just death. It's Darwinism made manifest. Uh, on planets. Mm. So mm. is that you? You mentioned that the feral planets were very good for um, you know recruiting from because yeah. of the nature. Would death worlds be the same in that? Respect? Death worlds. Death. It's a great question. Death worlds are exactly the same. I'll give you two examples. One of the most elite jungle fighting units uh, within the Imperium uh, are on. Or, they are the Shakakans that came from a death world called. Katachan. 
So it's the Katachan Jungle Fighters. They <laughs> the Katachan Jungle Fighters, mate. Mate. To give you an example, they every day have to hack back the jungle that is encroaching on them. And it's like, it's it's as fast as bamboo grows. The jungle is constantly trying to spread into amongst the human human uh, settlements. And the the life then is, you know, the aggressive uh, life forms are following that. Um, wow. And you have a thing called a, a Katachan devil, which looks like a cross between a giant millipede, a scorpion, and a son of a bitch. Uh, it's just <laughs> an absolute <laughs> dick. An absolute <laughs> dick. Um, <laughs> so the, the you know the the if you can survive to the age of twelve, there, why wouldn't the space marines come and get you? Uh, and why mm. wouldn't the imperial guard recruit whole regiments from there? These are the hardest of the hard. Um, Kind of hard uh, on on yeah unaugmented humans in Imperium space. Wow. Another example would be the planet of Fenris, which is the kind of um, the home world one. of the Space Wolf chapter of Space Marines. So these are the Space Vikings. Fenris is an ice world. A lot of these death worlds are uh, single biome worlds. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. Uh, so Fenris is also a a feral. It's actually on the cusp of feral and feudal. There's a there are actually quite a few tribes of uh, effectively Vikings on this uh, on this planet, constantly at war uh, with each other and with the kind of uh, archetypal um, kind of wolf bear uh, wolf bear pig uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of monsters from. Uh, mythic Norse lore. So they have to deal when they're traveling across the seas. You have to deal with kind of krakens, squids, uh, giant goldfish. This kind of deal. Uh, <laughs> you then have to on land. You're dealing with Fenrisian wolves, which are wolves the size of um, shire horses. Uh, and indeed, uh, there's a unit the space wolf, the space wolves can field. Uh, which are space marines riding giant angry wolves uh, as mounts, hmm. not as sexual partners. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. I'm glad you did. So you then have uh, what's called forbidden worlds. So these are worlds that have been quarantined, usually done by the Inquisition, usually done by this mystical Illuminati of Imperium. Uh, the Inquisition are able to, indiv individual Inquisitors are able to sentence anyone up to the entire populace of a planet to death if they're seen to be nice. uh, heretically turning against the Empire. So a lot of these Forbidden Worlds hold uh, information that the wider Imperium should never learn or should not learn. A lot of Death Worlds are Forbidden Worlds. A lot of the remains of dead alien civilizations are forbidden planets, as are almost all demon worlds uh, where the warp has broken through. So these wow. are mm. for your own, for your own good. We've decided you shouldn't know about these uh, planets. Um, so a lot of them are removed from the Galactic Gazetteer, 
much like I've forgotten the name. Is it Camino, the planet from one of the Star Wars movies, where it was removed from all records? So don't look here. Nothing to see here in terms of the sure. kind of a, a, a sure. planet. Would it be? Would would they like? Could they find like a virus, like a killer virus or something like a biological yes. threat? Yeah, you know, like planet COVID. <laughs> I mean, what were they thinking? It had it had the name. Why would you go there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I've got a vision of these enormous destroyers and Starcraft turning up with huge masks wrapped around the front. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> and what looked like pregnancy test kits. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, we then have, uh, you know, you've, we've described these kind of horror shows, but then you've got what's referred to as pleasure worlds. And these are... Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, now we're talking. There are planets all... Top shelf outs- worlds. Top shelf worlds. <laughs> top shelf worlds. Uh, it's basically a world that is... You can't see the bottom two-thirds of it because it's got that kind of, like, uh, silver cover. You just see the top. That's it. Right. Top shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know way too much about that. <laughs> I know way too much about nineties porn being sold in corner shops. <laughs> being sold in garages. I don't know what you're referring to. We'll just we'll draw a veil and move on. Um but these these are planets that have, you know, outstanding natural beauty. Uh so it's kind of intellectually pleasurable worlds. Um oh. and these are where That's disappointing. Uh, where people where like the nobles, the real kind of uh, the, the the kind of true powers within the Imperium, uh, go off and have a break or retire to, uh, or operate as their kind of base of operation um, for their uh, kind of sphere of influence. So they're really it's it's a it's it's a civilized world, but it's geared towards the kind of um, uh, the various forms of pleasure that the nobility uh, indulge in, and we all know none of them are ever shady or suspicious. Excellent. Uh, sure thing. Sure, sure thing. Sure, sure, sure. Being a whole world, can they accommodate more than just one noble family? Surely, like they, they, they can be populated by several hundred, if not millions, of people, and they're not going to encounter each other. They're still going to have private moments, or literally, it's like, is it that inefficient? Like. One noble person gets a whole planet to him fucking self. <laughs> um, I, I suspect there are examples where one person owns the planet. So I'm thinking of like sure. a rogue, a rogue trader, uh, or uh, like a one of the kind of high ecclesiarch bishops uh, of the the faith of the emperor will effectively own a single planet and may invite their friends over for a good time, but most of them would be it's really like exclusive hotel planet is really yeah, what sure, we're looking at sure. um so it, it some you know some of them invite people in or are used as rewards for good behavior for you know the 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 powerful that are um doing the good work of the of the even more powerful um mm-hmm. Speaking of the ecclesiarchy, they really have kind of three types of worlds and we'll just we'll kind of whip through them here. Um, the kind of largest centers of religious influence are what's referred to as the cardinal worlds. And as with hive planets, as with hive worlds, so too with cardinal worlds, 
somewhat to a lesser extent, but these are ones that are just covered in temples and cathedrals and sanctuaries and shrines. Um, and so it's a, it's, it, it's a single church planet, as it were. Uh, there's constant worship going on, but also the administration of large sections of space uh, in terms of the works of the ecclesiarchy. These are the influence kind of spider webs out to what's called shrine worlds, which are the, the kind of lesser version of uh, cardinal worlds. So a lot of feudal and feral uh, and civilized planets or civilized worlds are shrine worlds where there's quite an influence put on by the, the kind of church of the emperor. The, the kind of final one they have real are what's referred to as cemetery worlds. So that's where an entire planet is a cemetery. It's just filled with mausoleums, um, sepulchers, uh, and maybe the occasional shrine or church. Uh, and it's where the great and the good are sent to be buried. A lot of moons uh, are in fact cemetery worlds where you have, the, that's where the population of the main planet, if, if they're worthy enough, are buried, are interred. Uh, in these uh, cemetery worlds. So it, it's really, you're seeing gross specialization. Mm, mm. Speaking of specialization, we talked about the kind of machine cults, the, the Adeptus Mechanicus. These are the kind of mystical technology priests. And they're really, their kind of planet of choice is what is referred to as a forge world. So these are industrial worlds on whatever drug makes things more industrious. Uh, speed, I don't yeah. know. Um, so it, it, as the super hive worlds are to hive worlds, forge worlds are to industrial worlds. It's an entire planet is simply one large factory producing really high tech goods. Um, everything from land speeders, kind of hovercraft style um, vehicles up to and including starships. Air fryers. Yeah, air fryers. Uh, an interesting part about these forge worlds is that uh, two things really. One is a lot of them will have night worlds associated with them. So the nights are really um, split into those that are uh, loyal to the Imperium or loyal to the Adeptus Mechanicus. That loyalty highlights the other aspect of forge worlds is they are of the Imperium but not part of the Imperium. They are allied sections of space considered to be under the banner of the Imperium of Man, but operationally exclusively under uh, the kind of uh, leadership of the Adeptus Mechanicus. And the home world of that, their version of Terra, is the planet Mars. So all of these planets are uh, do you know the original the intro to the original Blade Runner? It's that. That's what mm. they look like. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, ringed by shipyards for building starships and space stations, and 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 these are the beating heart of uh, technology within the Imperium. It should be also be said there are no unaugmented adult humans on these forge worlds. They are for, for everyone's those who had are, a bit of aftermarket treatment. Yeah, spoilers, <laughs> low suspension. It's a little bit borgy. 
Okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little, yeah. It's a little bit Borg-like. Um, One glowing green eye, which like focuses all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so what's produced by these forge worlds then almost exclusively feeds into the mechanism of war. Um, so you have in terms of other planets, you have these war worlds. These are effectively just war zones. Uh, and these are uh, uh, names that are applied to um, areas of space as wars and large campaigns go on. Um, you then have, uh, backing these up, you have both fortress worlds. Uh, so imagine a space castle that is a planet. That's, that's effectively it. The... Uh, <laughs> Is it Cheyenne Mountain in the States, you know, where they've hollowed out this mountain and they have all the kind of military set up under there? Oh, yeah, that, yeah. that on a global scale. Uh, now, wow. there is a, this is where it gets a bit schizophrenic because in the Dark Imperium on the other side of the, the, the evil uh, warp wall, uh, you have the same thing, but they're referred to as Sentinel Worlds. But they're not only Fortress Worlds, but they're also kind of, um, cultural repositories. You know, they keep the kind of spirit of the Imperium going within uh, kind of local space around them. Um, so it's it's their kind of the holdover of the Imperium structure in the Dark Imperium is centered on these sentinel worlds. Um, you then have, of course, armor. I'm saying, of course, how, how would you know? <laughs> You then have <laughs> uh, what's what's referred to as armory worlds. Now, these are effectively just magazine worlds. These are worlds exclusively dedicated to storing weapons, ammunitions, and uh, vehicles and larger war machines um, to be used as like a, 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 a weapons cache in case war breaks out. So these are dotted all around the Imperium. Um, and really, in terms of the uh, the Imperium of Man, those are the broad categories of planets. I would like to touch on two kind of um, final planets for the Imperium. One is the kind of home worlds of Space Marine chapters. Space Marine forces break into two groups. One is fleet-based, one is world-based. If you're world-based, you're also in charge of an area of the Imperium surrounding your homeworld like ultramar yes exactly like that and indeed like fenris as well fenris has a sphere of influence around it that the space wolves enforce um in general these homeworlds are feral or feudal some of them are death worlds as well some of them are single or multi-biome so it's really it's an it's a strategic area of dominance that the imperium wants to re reinforce with a dedicated space marine presence. Uh, but that presence that, you know, the space marines have to get something out of it as well. And almost exclusively that's recruitment rights to the worlds around them. Uh, so they can constantly um, replenish their numbers. The final Imperial world I want to touch on answers the question, how the fuck are you going to feed all these people? And mm -hmm. these are referred to as the agri worlds. They're um, not no, originally as I... Munchy Munch yeah. Worlds. Munchies Worlds. Munchies Worlds. They are basically farms the size of planets. These are staffed by a kind of small, maybe tens of thousands of um, 
kind of administrative staff, but also uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of specially adapted human slaves, uh, referred to as servitors. These are humans usually done as a penalty, sometimes done as a reward, um, where you're lobotomized and your limbs are replaced uh, so that you can fulfill a specific task. Uh, with uh, agri-worlds, it's going to be harvesting. Um, so you have... Massive these... scythes for arms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, 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 or huge chain blades. And so there's a constant uh, seasonal uh, growth and harvesting. All the food is then packed up uh, and put aside uh, next to a spaceport. There may be one or more spaceports. And there's just a continuous stream of food coming out of these agri-worlds and feeding. Forge and hive worlds also going to uh, war worlds uh, and bastion worlds just to keep those planets that are not self-sustaining alive. Um, And really, that is arguably the weakest point in the Imperium. If you were to start destroying agri-worlds, uh, a lot of these planets would just uh, self-destruct Collapse, uh, yeah, culturally, yeah. perhaps even literally. Are they heavily, are, are they heavily um, guarded then, these agri-worlds? Almost exclusively not. Uh, wow. Some of, wow. Them are, some of them are hidden, some of them are forbidden, but a lot of them, they will have a defensive force, but they will be nearby like a fortress world, if you see what I mean. There, right. there is a, 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 a presence available for defense but not on planet they might right, have a few regiments but they, the the larger pitchforks for arms yeah, yeah. <laughs> get off my land <laughs> but you won't have the larger kind of logistical vehicles uh, seems like a, kind of idea. yeah a hole in the design there it's like the it's like the death star you don't have any handrails around these massive fucking <laughs> rooms where you could just fall over do you know what i mean like put a handrail <laughs> putting some guards, putting some patrols around these agri-worlds. Jesus. So from the Imperium's perspective, that those are the, the kind of, that covers the vast majority of planets under their kind of million planet empire. There are other planets out there. There are non-human planets referred to as Xenos planets. Now, these are going to be planets that are controlled by a single alien species which is as i've just mentioned referred to as the xenos by humankind so these are going to be planets that are you know under the control of orcs under the control of the tau um so a single culture dominates that planet either as a either as a full occupation uh, or homeworld or as a colony um the Eldar would be a good example of this because they had previously a galaxy-spanning empire that was uh, destroyed due to the fall of the Eldar. So, as I've mentioned, their homeworlds are within the Eye of Terror, their original homeworlds, and those are referred to as the Crone Worlds. Uh, so these Crone Worlds are actually also what's referred to as Demon Worlds, which we've touched on. These are the worlds that have crossed over or, or mixed with the power of the warp. Um, the Eldar saw this issue coming. They saw their own collapse coming. It was kind of writ large on the wall. So what they did is they seeded existing planets, 
referred to as dead worlds. These are like, it would be like our moon. So it's worlds that have no atmosphere, no life form, nothing. Um, and began the process of terraforming these into kind of, you know, almost like paradise worlds. These are ecstatically beautiful planets where every view is more spectacular than the last. And it just gets a bit dull after a while. But this is where they were going to um, reestablish the Eldar race. These maiden worlds, as they're referred to, still exist, but they're all around the kind of fringe of the Imperium of Man uh, as humanity has colonized a lot of them. Um, the only other world worth mentioning, or the only other type of world worth mentioning right now, are the tomb worlds of the Necrons. There's no specific type of tomb world. Um, as we'll discover as we go through, history predates humanity by millions upon millions of years. And so around about the time the dinosaurs were wiped out, the Necrons as a race, as a faction, went into kind of robotic hibernation uh, beneath the surface of these worlds that used to be their own, their own empire. And over time, these have evolved into the various different types of worlds that we've covered here. And thus, now that the Necrons are reawakening, they're starting to emerge up through into feudal worlds and ice planets and desert planets. And, you know, uh, in some cases, hive worlds uh, or agri Does worlds. Does that then override the previous categorization? Does a, does a, death worlds that they've woken up on now become a tomb world um tomb world really is how the necrons refer to the planets they are on right uh, okay. and to some extent there's a, a an inquisition and uh tag that that is the tomb worlds as well so it, the sh i suppose the short answer is yes um but that that tag that definition is really only applied by the kind of ultra-secretive inquisition, because a lot of tomb worlds, as they are uh, uncovered, uh, are instantly categorized also as forbidden to kind of keep the knowledge of this race out of the kind of general populace of the Imperium. So really, now, what we've done is, we've done an episode crammed full of even more information than the additions episode that we swore we wouldn't replicate. You're welcome. Yes. You yes, are we welcome. Have. And if anyone is still listening by this point, well done. Well yeah. done. So lads, thoughts. Thoughts on the galaxy at large. Um, it's fucked. Uh, incredible. All, yeah. All that uh, I'm reminded of is I was kind of forewarned that the 40K universe is fucking huge. Like, oh yeah, and it's enormous. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff it. going on. Not only that, it's you know, it's not just law. For example, our fantasy Warhammer podcast. Um, it's not just that scaled up, is it? It's not just no. like, oh, you've got factions spread out. It's like you've got hundreds of thousands of billions of worlds, which are divided into hundreds of thousands of billions of subplanets, which have hundreds of thousands of billions of sub -pol politics and make it. It's like wow. Yeah. It is. It Rain is absolutely melting. vast. Yeah, right. Man. So, yeah. Kral, pleasure worlds okay. aside, if you had to live yeah. on one of those worlds, where would you live? You know what? I was thinking about the agri world, kind of like, because you know, I'm a bit of a country bumpkin. Me and Amy mm. love our rural life. 
You know what I mean? Mm. And I can imagine myself, I just like foresee these kinds of nice, stunning, endless prairies, blue skies, me smoking my corncob pipe full of whatever <laughs> I'm smoking that day. Uh, yeah. Just out there tilling the fields, tending to my cattle, you know, lobotomized, don't have a care in the world. Yeah, exactly. You're going to struggle to hold that pipe with scythe arms. <laughs> oh, I'll figure out a way. <laughs> Maybe together. Just pin so, it. So a question about the agri-woods. I'd like, these guys are lobotomized. They're pretty much mindless workers, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, it's not a quaint country life <laughs> as an agri-farm farmer. Agri-world um, farmer, I should say. No, the, the only ones that really any kind of agency or, or, or sense of self are the kind of managerial organizational administrative and other things that mean the same thing um, sure. types yeah, yeah. that are on like the overseers uh, and that's still a pretty hard life because these servitors break down both, both yeah. physically and emotionally some would suspect uh, <laughs> yeah right it's one of these things that's kind of missed as people read about the law everything is incredibly ritualistic right you know there, there are prayers you know several times a day there's high holidays uh mm. every action is a form of prayer to the right. kind of as a psychic bandage for the uh, psychic bandage for the emperor it's a it's fanatical do they, do they have emperor day there are there's a, the ascension day which is the that's the day that the emperor ascended to the golden throne right. where uh, after at the end of the horus heresy where his physical form was effectively uh, put into life support and is still there. Wow. Holy shit. In a museum that people can pay 50p to go see. Yeah. yeah. And they'll have those machines where you put the penny in and then you press the thing and it squishes it into a kind of a long. Yeah. Penny. yeah. And they have the su- souvenir <laughs> shop at the end. Buy your. Yeah. I was at the Emperor's yeah. place today. <laughs> Ascension <and> mug. Place. <laughs> what, what, what planet would you live on, Dara? Uh, no pleasure planet is not allowed. No pleasure planet at all. I think I'd like to live on a feudal knight's world. (laughs) And just go LARPing every day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you, Benny? I think I'd live on a waste planet because it sounds pretty (laughs) peaceful there, actually. I mean, it might stink and the landscape's pretty shit, but I don't think anybody's got any interest in that. I'm just thinking about where would be the safest. Like, no no one's (laughs) going to attack a waste planet, are they? So fuck it, I'll stay there. Agricultural, pleasure, it's it's all high targets. You'd have to guarantee that the waste planet wasn't a tomb world and wasn't an, a, a, a maiden world for the Eldar because you'd have Necrons uh, coming up from the ground or Eldar warping in from the side uh, Look, to get Darren, I think that's a given. <laughs> I mean, that's that's obviously what I meant. Like, I mean, I'm on. doing, I'm researching, I'm researching, Darren, I'm researching. <laughs> so, I, I again, I know that that was an, an absolute syringe of information directly into your brain but it's just it's crucial for what we're going to be covering Mm. in the next few episodes to understand we're just warming up for the seven hour marathon that's coming next week (laughs) got it (laughs) in terms of romance what we've done so far is light flirting yeah just you wait until the heavy petting (laughs) (laughs) i'll show you my eye of terror (laughs) gross (laughs) Right, shall I wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and want to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lower 40k. Sign up today for as little as £3. This will also give you access to our Discord server so you can come and tell us exactly what you think of us. We'll be back soon displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, cheerio. See you later. Ta ta.